Well, welcome everybody to a very special Confused Breakfast episode. Today we are interviewing a very special actor, best known for his acting roles on Little House on the Prairie, JAG, NCIS, and for roles in two movies that our audience most certainly will be familiar with that we have covered on this podcast, Three Ninjas and Heathers. Patrick Laberto, welcome to the show. How are you? Good, man. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you. You look great, by the way. Thank you. How are you doing today? Is uh, everything going good? Everything's going good. I'm here in California. It's beautiful. Uh, it rained for a day, so the place went crazy. <laughs> People don't understand the water in the air thing, but okay. Have you have you been in California most of your life, or, or did you grow up elsewhere? Yeah, I was no. I was born and bred here. In fact, I'm a product of the Hollywood industry. I'm adopted, but my uh, biological parents came out to California, both to be actors. So it was, I was always meant for this business. <laughs> right on. Okay. Can you, uh, I actually kind of want to start off by uh, knowing a little bit more about uh, your working actor school. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I started it during the, the pandemic uh, with wanting to do something from the house. And basically the idea is, you know, you can go, you don't have to be in Hollywood to train in Hollywood. And it's an online class that you can join up and we teach class online uh, and it is a complete soup to nuts acting program and basically it's just to allow people you know for my experience when I would go to acting schools uh, you know like you're familiar with inside the actor's studio and Mm -hmm. it's a a black box where literally that's the term a black box because they paint everything black and you're in this studio where you're you know everything is focused on the stage and what the actor's doing and my experience in the business was completely different Um, I did never started in stage I started on television and in television it's like an active construction site versus a black box where everything is like, how are you feeling? Or, you know, how's your, <laughs> how's your throat? You know, and it's like, no, in, in a, in a working actor's life, you're, you know, they've had you in a stinky trailer all day. They bring you out as the sun is setting. They said, the light is great. Um, the person you're in the scene with got sick. We had to send them home early, but you have your big monologue and you only have three minutes to do it. And we've got to shoot it now. Go. And it's like, that's not the same experience as an actor's studio where everything is catering. So the idea behind the actor working actor school is what is it really like to, to be a working actor and how do you approach those type of issues and still get a performance that you want? And it's also behind the idea, especially for the kids, because I have a a whole program for kids as well, being a child actor, that it's a weird, weird idea. I mean, that there are child actors. There's no child lawyers. There's no child doctors. (laughs) There's no child politicians. And yet here you are, literally my job when I'm a kid, when you're a five-year-old child on a set, I was in a movie with, uh, with Lucille Ball, okay, when I was five years old. Oh, wow. And so I'm in a scene with Lucille Ball. My job is exactly the same as Lucille Ball. My talent is completely different. You know, my experience is nil. But the job itself, what you do and what an actor does on a set is exactly the same, with one exception. You'll have an actor on, like, when we were doing The Little House, crying their eyes out because their pa or their ma was burned up in a barn fire. (laughs) And then as soon as they say cut, all the adult actors go away and study their script, but all the kid actors have to go to school. Mm. And so it's weird. It's like it's a... So the whole idea of being a child actor, um, even though my experiences were good, the, the idea of being a child actor is really, really weird. And so I address that a lot when we're going through, uh, if you're a student and you're younger, where it's like, it's not, it's not going to be the same. It's not going to be the same for an adult actor. You're going to have to, you know, bifurcate your mind so that you're doing social studies at one o'clock and then you're acting with these stars at two o'clock. Meanwhile, the stars are back in their trailer, relaxing, getting ready for the set, doing whatever, but the child actors don't. Mm. So there's a lot of compartment compartmentalization is that, is that right yeah, you got it so yeah, yeah. And that that has to happen with being a child actor then is what you're saying is there has there been Absolutely. A, has there been a huge difference or have you have you 
or can you talk about how that's changed over the years um, for child actors specifically? I mean, have there been more regulations, more rules, more anything that's come up nowadays that was different from back then? Not, I mean, I, I'm sure that there are some regulations that have changed, but the reality of it was it was pretty regulated when I was there. The main difference was that you were treated like a prop when you're, you know, like bring the kids in. You don't get to rehearse. I tell a story on TikTok about I was doing um, uh, episode two episodes of Starsky and Hutch, and I had a scene with Starsky uh, or Hutch. I'm not sure. I think it was Starsky. It was Paul Michael Glazier. I have a scene with Paul Michael Glazier, and... Uh, unfortunately, as happens in the 1970s TV shows, my character got the plague from Alex Rocco, the great actor from The Godfather. Um, and so as one does, I'm laying in a hospital bed with the plague. And so my eyes are closed. And the way they shot the scene was, you know, Paul Michael Glazier had been doing this show for years. He knows his lines. They bring the kid in. They lay him in bed. They, you know, tell me, close your eyes. They, they sell it, you know, action. Paul Michael Glazier comes in. He says his lines, he leaves, and that's it. And I never get to meet him. (laughs) I heard his lines. He was literally right here, two feet from me, but I never got to meet the guy. Nothing on him, but it was just sort of like, because they have to manage your time, you were kind of treated like a prop. I think that there's a lot more with Disney Channel and all these other types of shows. There's a lot more understanding that, oh, yeah, these are a part of the process. These actors are part of the process. So I'd say that's changed. but outside of that, no, I mean, it's just, there's a thing called the Coogan Act. And it's because Jackie Coogan as a kid was, you know, his parents took all his money. And so when you get a TV series now, you have a thing called the Coogan account where the money that you make on a TV show goes into the Coogan account. And I think it's like 25% that cannot be touched by anybody else. So that no matter what, you're going to have some money when you're 18, right? Oh, wow. And that was around in the 70s. It was around since Jackie Coogan, which, you know, he was a big star with um, uh, with Charlie Chaplin. So from the 30s, this has been available for kid actors. So that kind of protects you. But here's the weird thing. You ever see a movie called um, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead? Oh, yeah. Okay, dishes are done, man, right? That great line <laughs> from that movie. That guy's name is Keith Coogan, and he's related to Jackie Coogan. He never had a Coogan account. Oh, no. Because he was never on a TV show. So it's like it was only for TV show people. So here you are, you're Keith Coogan. You're working all the time as a kid actor, but none of it is being protected. I don't know where his finances are now. I'm not saying that he was suffering. (laughs) But it's like, so there are these loopholes where it's like literally the guy who's the grandson of the, the name of the act has no Coogan account. Wow. How did you find your way into acting at such a young age? Was it something that you always wanted to do that from what you can remember? Or was it just something that, like you said, your parents <laughs> no. were just like, here, go do this? <laughs> yeah, it's like I did, I did not sit my parents down at three years old going, I really want to be an actor. Um, my mom was an actress. And my mom, I think, again, yeah, in another TikTok video I show her, and she was in the cherry pie video from Warrant. She played oh, the old wow. lady. And, so she had this huge career before I was born as a stand-up comedian and would tour with the Tommy Dorsey band and everything. So when she would go out on auditions for commercials, she would drag her kids along, myself and my brother. And the casting director started seeing these kids and said, well, are they here for the job? And my mom said, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> so that's kind of how it started. And then you just, it was, you know, it, it became all that I knew. And then by the time I had a, a real life choice, whether I wanted to be an actor or not, it was something I really loved doing. Yeah, that's awesome. We do a lot of research on the show with the movies that we cover, and um, we recently covered covered Heather's, and we go through the kind of the actors on IMDb and everything, and we see you come up, and I was like, oh yeah, Three Ninjas, hell yeah, and uh, we go all the way down to on your credits, and like one of your first ones is Blazing Saddles. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, Blazing Saddles was a blast. Um, so, obviously, back then, everyone knew that Mel Brooks was crazy already. <laughs> and so, when I went to audition, my brother had, uh, there was a scene with a snake in the audition scenes. The The bad guys, I had three scenes in the movie that were all cut. That I'm jumping at spoilers. <laughs> um, and again, you know, I just, in fact, I just posted this video, this story on it, where... 
I did these three scenes, but you know, it's a classic. There's so every scene is a killer. So it's like mm -hmm. if, if they did director's cuts back in the day, they might have put this stuff in, but it didn't make the cut. But I had three scenes. One was when they come in and raid Rock Ridge and they're doing all these horrible things to people. You know, have you ever seen such cruelty? One of them was these rustlers comes up to me and he, and he grabs my, my pet snake and uh, he ties him in a knot and hands him back. And then I go, oh, pal, what have they done to you? And then the second scene was on the day that um, uh, the sheriff walks the town for the first time after he gets called all the names and everything. He comes across a bunch of kids that are beating up this younger kid. And I'm playing the younger kid and he shoes them all away and he says, you know, what's going on here? And I'm all beaten up. And I go, nothing. We're just playing a game. He goes, what kind of game are you playing? And I say, we're playing Welcome the New Sheriff. <laughs> oh, oh, man. And then finally, the last scene, which like you can kind of see the top of my head in it, uh, is in the uh, in the in the uh, the church. You know, it's like, well, we're going to need a new sheriff. Um, I raise my hand and I'm like three feet tall and I say, let me be sheriff. And everyone's like stone quiet. And then one guy goes, well, he's, he's big for his age. He's brave. Let the boy be sheriff. Yes, let the boy be sheriff. And they vote and they elect me sheriff. And my mom stands up and she goes, he has school in the morning and he will not be sheriff. And so then they cut back to the preach, uh, the preacher who then says, well, we're still going to need a new sheriff. And so that's where that scene played. Oh, so oh, there were okay. these three scenes that were in there. You can see me in one of the shots when um, Bar uh, when Bart uh, rides up and they're welcoming him and everyone's looking at him right before he takes himself hostage. There's a little kid next to the band. That's me. When the very first shot of Rock Ridge, you see a kid being drugged by three dogs down the street. That's me. But I spent, I spent like a month on this movie and it was the best. It was playing oh, Cowboys and Indians. And every time I was on camera, Mel Brooks, after he would yell cut, would scream at the top of his lungs, this kid's going to be a star! <laughs> and I didn't know that it was a bit. I thought, man, this guy really likes what I'm putting out. But yeah, I mean, and, and of course, I never saw the movie until I was older. You could, sure. I couldn't see an R-rated movie. Um, but it was it was great. And I, I remember Cleavon Little was on a show called Temperatures Rising, and there were all these other, you know, Gene Wilder and all these other people in the movie, but I was fascinated with Cleavon Little. I'd never, yeah. I had watched, you know, the show and I can't get over that he's on TV. And I'd never put together that Gene Wilder was Willy Wonka because I love that movie, <laughs> but it just didn't feel the same. <laughs> well, he, yeah, I, I find that besides you, he's, Cleavon's clearly the standout in that movie. I mean, he's, we found him just to be in, incredible in that. What is it? Like, uh, since being a child actor on that set, what is, like, the schedule kind of like for you? Is it, like, in the morning? Pretty much, yeah, everything standard for a movie or for a television show is, unless you're shooting for a particular, like, you're shooting nights, okay, then, of course, it's different. But on a regular day, your call would be 7 or 7.30 for makeup, and you go in, you get dressed, you get makeup, and then you're ready to go to work. That's the whole idea. So maybe by 8 o'clock, you're ready to go to work. And then they put you in school, and on set, you, you need school for three hours. You need to have three hours of school every day. You can bank school, where let's say there's a day where we're, I'm not working a lot. I do four hours of school, then I have an hour in the bank, and so the next day I only have to do two hours of school, that type of thing. Um, you have your own personal teacher that they supply and so it's actually a very good um education in the sense mm -hmm. that i wasn't in a class of 30 and even on little house i was in a class of like five or six and strangely enough my teacher from little house ended up being um the teacher on star trek the next generation and will wheaton and i had the same teacher but in different classrooms so oh, wow. it's just a weird a weird coincidence mrs fife um and so you go in and you do your schooling and then the assistant directors are really like on the it's a big timing issue where you can i don't know the time amount but you can only be on set for a certain amount of time before you need a break or you need to go back to school and uh, as far as meals and meal penalties you can't really give kids meal penalties so they have to be done and then i think it's a total of eight hours 
including the school. So, you know, take out your hour of, you know, uh, makeup and hair, take out your three hours. That gives you basically four hours to work with a kid on the set. Mm, okay. And then you go home. I mean, and, and for the rest of it, even, you know, as an adult actor, sometimes on JAG, when we were doing episodes, I would have a very easy schedule. The first couple of years of JAG was like incredibly hard. It was very much 14 to 15 hour days every day. Oh, wow. In fact, we called, I called JAG just another grand because <laughs> they have these things called forced calls where if you finish at eight o'clock at night, but they need you at seven o'clock that you, you don't have that 12 hour turnaround. Mm-hmm. The, the union says you need to pay them a thousand dollars. And it was always just a forced call. It was like a very, very, which was very lucrative, but yes. it just, you know, it's a grind after a while. It's just like anything else. Sure. <laughs> That's um, it's funny. You bring up Jag. Um, we've talked about Jag uh, on the show and mentioned it just a couple of times randomly in all honesty, thinking of it more from the kids side of watching television that when like your favorite TV show ends up finishing up and then all of a sudden it's Jag, you're like, Oh man! Oh, right. Dang it! It's like oh, oh, Jag. Is this a cool like you know Top Gun show? No, it's not. It's it's like lawyers and you know. <laughs> um, no, we have we have film and shots from Top Gun, but it's yeah, not Tom Cruise. It's not yeah. the same thing. And so, but it led me to it. It leads me to another question. Since you bring it up, though, and you know the comparison of working on a film like a movie set or, or going back, you know, you spent a lot of time on Jag, I believe. Uh, on, yeah, on, 10 years, you know, 10 years. So what, and you know, the comparison of being in that production as opposed to, um, just a movie production or a movie production and maybe the differences other than the obvious. And did you have a preference when it comes down to it? I grew up in TV, so I love TV. The thing I love about TV is the consistency of the work. Um, also, what I loved about it with a show like JAG was I could try things in one episode, see it on screen, and if it doesn't work, then I've learned something. Or if it does work, you know, either way, and then I can, um, you know, uh, put that forward to the next performance. And so you have a lot more chances in television. Um, we did. 220 episodes and so i had a lot of opportunity to try things that in a movie you know like you don't really get a shot when we did uh heathers since you guys know that each one of those sequences i had to plan out exactly how big i was going to go because it was a low budget movie everyone wanted to be there because everyone loved the script it was an amazing script everyone knew what what it was all about and so everyone brought their A game. That's why it's a really good, um, good movie. But like the, uh, the funeral scenes where you hear everyone's voiceover <laughs> of like, you know, why do you have to kill such hot snatch? Um, <laughs> when, <laughs> One of the best. I mean, it's just it's, 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 it's a great. It's, a, it's just every line was so good. But they told me they said, "Listen, um, we need you to go and do a scratch recording of this so that we can time out what your." reactions are going to be so they played i went and i recorded uh the line and then they played it back on set so you could hear what you're doing so you could react to it in real time so it would look like you're thinking it and the reality of it was i had a lot of ideas that i wanted to try and when i did the scratch recording i did the character i did a performance but it wasn't the performance i thought it was going to be in the movie i thought it was going to be something that we re-recorded in post but they never did. And so that to me always reminds me that when you're doing a film, yeah, whatever, whatever they're getting that day, they may not ever come back to that location wow. again. But with Jag, we had sets that were the same. We would do pickups from other shows. And you have a lot more leeway on a TV show. Um, as far as energy and as far as um, how you approach it, Movies are both a marathon and a sprint at the same time, meaning that you only have a certain period of time, a short period of time to shoot the whole movie. However, you will get you will shoot maybe three to four pages a day on a movie, whereas on a TV show, we might shoot 10 pages a day. Okay, Mm -hmm. And on these really low budget movies that I've been doing, uh, like 30 pages a day. So. With a movie, you've got this marathon of uh, 
during the day where you have a lot of shot at it, like in, in a movie like um, Yes Man, where I got to have this scene with um, uh, Jim Carrey, okay? And so I'm working with Jim Carrey all day, and it was like uh, half a page of scene, but it took us seven pages or seven hours to do. So you have all of this time to work on it. Mm. Whereas in a TV show, you know, you may have one or two shots at a closing argument before they turn around and get the next shot. So it's always about time management. And as an actor, and we talk about this in the school, but as an actor, you got to know, you know, what's your lens? How long do you have to do this? What are you going to do? What are you expecting? Because you may not have another chance at it. So we're we're very far. We are not actors. In fact, I I don't think uh, as good as your school is. I don't think you could ever help me be an actor. I, <laughs> I I am just blown away by what people can do on screen. The closest thing I have to comparing myself to an actor would be that I've played in music my whole life, and I listen back to recordings that I did when I was twelve years old that I thought were so great, and then I listen to it now and I'm like, what in the world? This is the worst thing I've ever heard. So I'm wondering, do as an actor, do you, do you look back on something like Little House on the Prairie and do you go, wow, I I was really good, or do you go, oh gee, they, are there cringe moments there? Because you're still you're oh, still yeah. becoming better, right? You know, there's there's cringe moments everywhere. We had, and again, I keep plugging these stories on TikTok, but I did tell a story where there was a scene in Little House where my parents are getting divorced and my brother, Matthew, was also on Little House. He played the character Albert and I played Andy. So we were both on the show. And my brother's an amazing actor and he's an amazing crier. And so Michael landed and him would have these scenes where they were crying all the time. And I just wasn't there yet as an actor and I didn't know how to cry. And then one day I discovered that if you were yawning, your eyes would water. And I'm like, oh, I can get water in my eyes. So if you yawn, and then close it, your eyes will water and you can act like you're crying. So I thought, this is it. I'm nailed it. This is, I'm going to kill it. And so there's this one episode where my parents are, are divorcing and they cut to me. And I've got this weird looking face, but I'm crying. And at the time, I'm like, ah, this is it, man. I mean, here comes Miami. And then I saw it and I was like, that's horrible. And so years later, my wife and I created a show for Nickelodeon that we wrote and produced called See Dad Run about an actor who comes home and now he's raising the kids. And so one of the episodes we did was the lead actor that played by Scott Baio, David, he used to be on a TV show called Prairie Days. And and they show this bad scene that he his daughter wants to be a, a dancer. And she's a horrible dancer. And then he's reminded that, well, he was a horrible actor as a kid. And they find this videotape of this scene where he does basically exactly what I did <laughs> on Little House. And so I tried to, you know, work that in in the story. But, yeah, th- there's absolutely that feeling. While on other parts of Little House, I look at some of my performances as a kid. And I go, well, I was pretty naturalistic. One of the things I say in acting is you think up something here and it comes out your face. And that's basically all it is. Wow. Because we're watching you think just like anybody else. Just like when you're a musician, you're, you can play notes, but the whole idea is to make people feel what you feel when you're, right. while you're playing that note. And so that's the same idea. Um, when I was, <laughs> when I did Maine, I just, I, I have no idea what it was. I was a kid. I was like four or five. Um, I just yelled all my lines because I felt so <laughs> tiny in these big rooms. And, and and so, yeah, I mean, like I thought yelling was a great like if you could be heard, then you were being yeah, a good yeah. actor. And so, yeah, there's tons and tons of cringe moments. <laughs> it makes sense. Well, you bring up uh, Heather's. I'd be remiss to not ask you a little bit about that. But what was that like the first time that script came across your desk or got to you in general? What was it like reading that for the first time? It was, I've read two scripts that are like this. One was Heather's. That was first. My brother, they wanted to play JD and they asked him to come in and read. And so he was going to go in and meet with them and read for it. And uh, I said, when's your appointment? He goes, I'm not going in. I go, why? He goes, oh, it's this horrible thing about teenage suicide. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, it's all about suicide. And it's just, it's weird. And I don't like it. And so he goes, read it and see if if I'm missing anything. And I go, yeah, you're missing all of it because it's awesome. <laughs> it was the best script I think I'd ever read. And 
what was so great about it was if you like the movie, that was the script. You got it. I mean, Winona playing Veronica and everyone playing each of the characters, like they nailed the script, nailed what was in the performances. And you can look at it and go, well, the performers were doing what was in the script or the script was calling it. Whatever it was, it was like just a great, great, amazing script. And the second script that I read was I was at this party. Which was like, you know, when you go to your friend's party, that's not a really, it's not, this was not a Hollywood party. It was in Hollywood, but it was in the Hollywood Hills and it was a friend's of mine. And, you know, it's like a warm Michelob party. You're just sitting there talking around and it's just like nothing's going on. And this one guy found me because of Heather's. He goes, I love you at Heather's. I'm like, oh, thank you. And you could just tell that this guy was like, you know, just jonesing to be in the business. And he goes, I got this script and um, I bought it from a friend of mine and I want you to read it. And because he was a friend of my friends, I said, sure. And he goes, what I want you to do is I want you to get Christian Slater to be in the movie. I'm like, all right. And so I read the script and it was amazing. It was the second, like there was Heather's and then there was this script, which was like, I could not get over how good it was. And so I tried to get a hold of Christian, but I don't. It's not like Christian and I hang out. Even after Heather's, he was like four years younger than I was. We were in different circles. It wasn't like we, you know, it's like it, sometimes you end up connecting up with people and hanging with them. But I, I didn't know Christian. But I tried to get a hold of him because the script was so good. And I ran into the guy who gave me the script at a movie just randomly. And I said, listen, I got a, I got a call into Christian. I'm waiting. He goes, don't worry about it. Oliver Stone's producing it and he's rewriting it. And so this that was Natural Born Killers. Oh, no way. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so when you read Natural Born P Killers, it was like Heather's, where there was no question about that this movie. And by the way, the Oliver Stone version of it was nothing. I mean, it was like Natural Born Killers. But if you shot what Quentin wrote, it would be a completely different movie than what, what Oliver Stone did. And it was amazing. And, and it was like, I still look at that as being like a, a, an example, because I also write scripts, uh, an example of when you're writing how to write and yeah. how to bring people in. Well, Heather's has this like specific dark tone that's, that it plays on. It's funny that it's so dark. And it's dark because it's so funny. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, I really think that um, everyone's performances in that really shine through like that. Well while you're on set doing these scenes, is it, um, are you aware of like the dark comedic aspect? Are you trying to like have that in your head as you're performing or are you just doing this character uh, as Ram? That's a great question. Uh, the whole idea of when you do a dark comedy, my opinion, my, my, my two cents is you have to play it for real. You have to play it like they're, that you, they're not making the joke. The joke is there, but you're not making the joke. So for me with Ram, I really, I took, I stole from um, Frank Oz. Frank Oz described okay. uh, playing the drummer on the Muppet show. You know, that puppet. Oh, he yeah. described him as um, sex and pain. That's <laughs> That's what the whole... The whole character was based on sex and pain. And that's why, you know, the drummer's always screaming. And I thought, okay, so if it's like that, then Ram is sex and just stupidity. Like, he's just <laughs> stupid. He doesn't get any, you know, it would be, you know, like, he doesn't understand double entendre. He doesn't understand anything. And so with that, then that informs, like, there's one, the one shot where, you know, I put my fingers in his chicken pot pie and I go, you're going to eat this. And he goes, I don't know, man, they got an open door policy for fags. And then you can see me look around because I'm looking for the sign that says there's an open door policy. Oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> and that, but that's the idea behind it. It's like whether it's a joke that you get or not, yeah. in my mind, it makes perfect sense to him. It's like, I don't remember seeing anything like that. <laughs> and when other people are doing their bit as other actors, like all the Heathers coming around and, you know, doing their bit, you're not, it's not like, um, like, well, using Jim Carrey, it's not like a Jim Carrey movie where you can see he's doing an over the top character that part of the performance level is, is where you're getting the funny with a black comedy. You are playing something that's so sick and twisted for laughs that 
you you're laughing and I can't believe they just did that. I can't believe she just said that. Yeah. And so knowing that you have to say, you know, the things that he's saying, uh, your character's saying again with that thing, if thoughts in the back of your head, it comes out your face is that this is a real thought. Let's kick his ass. You know, it's like, I don't like that guy. I don't know what he's doing, but I'm going to kick his ass. <laughs> and it's just a one-to-one relationship that, that that character had with anything in front of his face. They had a scene in um that they, in one scene that they did cut out of Heather's, which I'd love to see. I've never seen it, where um, we're on our way to see Veronica in the woods, and it's me and Kurt, and we stop and and I go, man, I just can't believe it. I'm gonna fuck one of those cute girls with all the swatch dogs and Heather's and and like just he it, and he just was going off on like what he was gonna do to her, and. And then Kurt looks at me, he goes, well, we got to go if you're going to do all of that. And I go, oh, yeah, right, right, let's go. <laughs> and so it's just like one of those types of things. That's amazing. Well, I, I want to bring up your 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 TikTok, man. If, if nobody out there, it's Working Actor School. I think it's at Working Actor School, right, your TikTok? Yeah, that's the name. I still don't under, I'm I am old, so I don't understand no, dude, if I can you, change my name or not. It doesn't matter. Like, like, find them because your, your channel, you're such an amazing storyteller. Uh, and and it's basically just stories of of the movies you've been involved with and and the Hollywood moments that you've had. One of my favorites that I watched you talk about was was Three Ninjas, the story about uh, DJ Harder, the guy that yeah. played Hammer. So so first of all, when when we reviewed Three Ninjas, this show is about talking about it nostalgically, but then but then stripping that away and talking about it with a modern eye. And you know what? Three Ninjas was not that great of a movie if you're looking at it from a modern eye. But the thing we talked about. <laughs> That we could not get what over. What are you talking about? It's hey, a classic. No, no. And here's why it's it a classic. You three, you and the two dudes are like, we wanted Three Ninjas 2 to be you guys. Like, we, we thought you were the best part of the movie. And hearing that story about DJ Harder, like, made me laugh so hard. I, I would love if you would tell that, because I don't think these guys know the story. These high school kids in the 80s thought their lives were so tough, but they never had to worry about cybersecurity. In our modern world, the biggest security threats are hidden in the shadows of the internet. And luckily for all of us, our friends NordVPN, sponsor of today's episode, has the product that can keep us safe. NordVPN provides a service that protects your internet connection and privacy online by creating an encrypted tunnel for your data and protecting your online identity by hiding your IP address and masking your virtual location. I've been running it on my phone and my computer for almost a year now and it seriously is the best peace of mind that I could ever have knowing that I'm protected in everything I do. They also doubled down on keeping us safe with the new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in, deletes it before it makes a mess. But security aside, one of the biggest pluses for movie lovers is that NordVPN allows you to change your IP address to another country in a matter of seconds and that can open up a whole new database of things you can watch that are not available in the U.S., I was craving two things last night, Pulp Fiction and Fellowship of the Ring. Both are nowhere to be found on any streaming service that I have. So I switched my IP location to Australia. Good day, mate. And I instantly had access to Pulp Fiction and every single one of the Lord of the Rings movies. This is huge for getting around sports blackouts, finding cheaper flights, getting software you can't get in the U.S. and so much more. You know how you search for flights uh, like you'll search for it one day, then you go back the next day to purchase it and they went up in price? Not anymore, thanks to NordVPN. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to NordVPN.com slash breakfast to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free and it's completely risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee give it a try and if you like it great if you don't they'll issue a refund you can pretend like it never happened but i know you're gonna love it go to nordvpn.com breakfast get your subscription started today it's one of my favorite hollywood stories because it literally is the soul of what hollywood what you believe hollywood to be so I got I got an audition to go read this thing, and I read the script, and it's so obviously Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles meets Home Alone. Obviously. And <laughs> it's, our part of it was Home Alone. And I'll be honest with you, I love the kids, and John Turtletop, the director who went on to greatness, he, 
he knows comedy and he was really good at making that a good movie. But even when I watch the movie now, I turn it off after I'm, I'm done because <laughs> the rest of it is just, you know, ninja stuff. but even, even before that, it's like, it, it, I think it works all the way through that, that piece. So I go in, I audition. And again, I had been there. There is the surfer character at that period of time that I just I loved playing. I was in an improv group. I would do this character as an improv. And so I audition and I get the role and I'm there on the first day. Right. And so I come out of the room and there's this other actor who is a friend of John's. And he comes out of his dressing room and he says, hey, who are you playing? And I go, I'm playing Fester. And he goes, no, 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 I'm playing Fester. Who are you playing? I go, uh, I, I'm, I thought I was playing Fester. And he goes, no, let's, I, I got to talk to John. There's been some confusion. Well, the guy goes to John and he says, hey, man, this guy thinks he's playing Fester. And John says, he is. You're playing Hammer. And the guy says, no, I'm not. Because Hammer is like the second yeah, yeah. banana of the, the surfers. And he left. He, he straight up quit the movie. Like first day, an hour before they're going to start shooting, you know, it's like some friend. And so they didn't have a guy to play, to play the second surfer. And I'm like pitching my brother saying, Hey, my brother's an actor. We can maybe get him here quick. And they go, well, let's see what the casting people can find. We're still going to, you know, start, you know, work and start shooting, but let's see what we can do. And so we're having this conversation and the second assistant cameraman who has this great, fantastic look. He's got this long hair. He was our age. He's this Asian guy. And he comes over and he goes, I think I can do it. And we're like, what? And he goes, I think I can play him. And and the director, John, goes, looks at him. And he goes, what are you talking about? And he goes, I really, I, you know, I've gotten, he laid out his acting background. You know, he had some background in high school and whatnot. And he goes, I think I can do it. And so John decided, he goes, okay, look, you can shoot stuff in a way that, if we have to replace him, we can shoot everybody. It was the the um, the scene in the liquor store where we hold up the liquor yep. store, and so that's why they split us up, is so that if oh, they gotcha. needed to, they could they could shoot a new actor as soon as they hired the new actor. But the guy's fucking awesome. He's <laughs> wonderful. He was so good in the movie that you know th that first day he was still the second assistant cameraman. So any scene he's not in, he's pulling focus. Oh, wow. But on on the next couple of days, then he was just the actor. And I just, it was like one of the most Hollywood things I've ever seen. It was like the guy stepped up. He was really, really great. I don't think he ever acted again. He should have. I mean, he was really, really good. I, and then, I, you know, I, another weird part of that was there's a whole weird part of Three Ninjas where there was in South Korea, like they, they say the Martin Scorsese of South Korea was this guy named Director Chen or Chin, Director Chin. And he was married to like the number one movie star of South Korea. North Korea, Kim Sung Il, the dad, kidnapped Director Chen and his wife and made them make movies in North Korea for him. They just straight up came down, kidnapped him, and forced him to make movies. And he had to make movies for them for like 10 years until he finally escaped. Well, when he escaped, he landed in Hollywood, and his first movie was Three Ninjas. That's what? the first movie that he, his company, produced, okay? It was called wow, Ninja wow. Kids at the time. Ninja so Kids. this guy, that's that's the story that of how that movie got made. I still think that'd be, you know, like a great story just all on his own. Like, how do you get kidnapped? To me? And the guy had made like 30 movies in North Korea because wow. he was forced to. Anyways, so they, they're doing Ninja Kids. Ninja Kids was independently produced. And then they make the movie, and then Disney picks it up. It wasn't a Disney movie. They bought it. So Disney buys the movie for, like, I think a million and a half dollars, and it made, like, $35 million. It was the most profitable film of the year that it came out, and they immediately wanted to do a sequel. Yep. And so I was tight with all of these people, and they said, you know, they knew I was a writer, and a lot of the stuff that we came up with on the, in the movie that got in the movie was stuff that I was coming up with, like, you know... Not that it makes the movie, but first we feast, then we felony, oh. cool room, all these types of things that they recognize that, oh, I know how to do dialogue. So they said, well, why don't you give us a pitch for, you know, Three Ninjas 2? And I did. And it was I was going to be writing the movie, and then there was a change of uh, ownership of the rights or whatever, and so they went a different way. 
but the reason I'm telling the whole story is I think one of the things that you know I learned from John Turtletop was the thing about the um, the the surfers were. You know, if you look at Home Alone, it, it's really brutal violence. And I think yeah. people are coming around to that now where it's like, no, this kid could have killed these guys on any <laughs> one of <Yes>. those <laughs> multiple times. And, and vice versa, the, the bad guys were bad. But the thing with the surfers and three ninjas was that we were buffoons and we felt dangerous. We felt safely dangerous. Yeah. Like you never yes. really worried about the kids. Right. And so for the movie, for the sequel, I pitched that it would be the same three actors, but that instead of hiring surfers, this time the bad guys hired three Elvis impersonators that were on their way to an Elvis convention. But on their way there, they had to kidnap these kids because that was the thing they wanted. They wanted the kids to be kidnapped again because there's nothing more unintimidating than an Elvis impersonator. I love it. You know, and you would have, and each one would be a different style. There'd be Vegas Elvis. There'd be young Elvis. Old fat Elvis. Old fat Elvis. So, yeah, I mean, so I, I really always wanted to do that. And again, you know, I, since it didn't happen, I, I've never seen the other ninja movies and I don't know if I will not, not for any, you know, yeah. Bad feelings, but it's just sort of like, eh, okay. <laughs> well, just to clarify, I just want to make sure this is known. Those are the things that made the movie for us uh, 100%. <laughs> upon rewatch and, and critical rewatch. And then on top of that, we all agreed um, in that episode on the fly that we needed those three characters as a TV show. That is what we needed in some way, shape, or form was, was Fester and Hammer. And yeah, it was... It was so great. It was going to be called Calling All Cars. I think think that's what we were... (laughs) Calling All Cars. (laughs) Calling All Cars. (laughs) That's great. That's a line from John Turtletop. That's what I'm saying. He's just a kid, too. And so we were sitting there, and he goes, I don't know, just like, you know, when you're a kid, Calling All Cars, Calling All Cars, (laughs) act like a little kid. And, you know, it's like... And and the other stuff that I loved about it was when we're in, like, the room where mom's redecorating... And uh, the race, the guy that played the, the blonde surfer, he goes, dude, I go, no, there's no possible way they could be in the kitchen. It's like he knows what he's saying, but he's only saying it's like Groot. He, he understands him, but no one else does. <laughs> I love that so much. man. Well, I think in that in our episode, uh, we cover that we never really see what happens to you guys. Could you right. could you give us some insight on maybe what happens or if there wasn't anything that happened? I guess you guys are just um, impersonators. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I basically, I always thought that once they got out of trouble, they just went back to eating pizza and, yep. and just hanging and surfing and doing I whatever. I mean, they really, it's to me, it's those types of, you know, like Chauncey Gardner type of character where you're just not affected by the world around you. You just do what you do. I think that's why you guys are so effective in the movie, to be honest. It's like, you, you, the whole group, and especially you, are just so affable. Like it's just so entertaining to watch. My my brother and I, Chris, he still loves Three Ninjas. He shows his kids, <laughs> loves it, and he's mad at me for that for us giving it a bad rating. <laughs> Even though we talk about it as every like time. every movie we do, it's like I'd rather be watching Three Ninjas. You know, <laughs> uh, I don't know what it is. <laughs> there's there's a couple of little details which are kind of interesting, and I have this weird theory. Every every sound of uh of like contact in karate. You know, like all the looping of like, ooh, ah, ooh, ah. <laughs> every one of them through the whole movie is John and I. We did that uh, <laughs> in post-production. And then I have a theory about why it became so popular is a video because kids your guys' age or anywhere, I think that hideous orange cover stood out so much in the video store yeah. and in your video collection that it's like you're looking like i don't know man let's just watch three ninjas again <laughs> I, you're absolutely right that's what we did yep. 100%. once a week well pop it in it's monday yeah <laughs> <laughs> what role do you get recognized for the most when you're just out in public oh um it's two distinct camps and it's either little house or jag okay and Usually it's grandmas for Little House and grandpas for Jack. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. It's fair enough. That's their respective. Yeah, that's where they fell into. Yeah, yeah. It's when when I'm trying to watch something, that's what they just naturally went to. And then anybody else, it's like, oh, I know you from somewhere. And then you got to read the you know the resume before they find out what it is. I try to guess by the age, 
but you know, you never, you never know. Or I could, they could just think I'm, you know, some other body, some other. <laughs> well, I see uh, that you're doing some more work, like uh, Sharknado films. You're getting into those, which I love. Um, what do you, what, uh, what kind of work is coming up for you now? Um, <laughs> so first of all, the people that the asylum is the name of the company that does Sharknado. And I went to college with these guys. And so it's literally the kind of thing where I just did a Christmas movie with them where I get a call on a Wednesday night going, hey, man, can you do, come do a movie with us tomorrow? And then we like it starts the next day and they shoot those movies like in five days. <laughs> and so I've done a lot of those in the last year or so because they're just so easy to do. Like I was saying, there's a movie called um, Doomsday Meteor. And I read the script and it wasn't like I was deciding whether and I already knew I was going to do it because they go, hey, can you come out and do Doomsday Meteor? And I go, yes, because you do Doomsday Meteor. <laughs> and we shot 30 pages in a day and it was all, you know, I'm, I'm play this general in one set. And so just as an actor, it's like just great practice and great experience. And plus, I got to say that the line initiate the Doomsday Meteor protocol, which it's fantastic. Um, I ended up doing another movie there called Arctic Armageddon. Um, there's one that's coming out that hasn't been out called um, Attack of the Meth Gator, which is oh, their cocaine God. bear. Um, I'm writing. I wrote a movie there and was in it called uh, Alien Apocalypse. I'm turning in a script tomorrow called Tornado Apocalypse, which is going to be their answer to uh, uh, Twisters. The oh, sequel yeah. that's coming out next, next year. So... Been doing that, been doing the school, and just really enjoying doing the TikToks, actually. They're kind of fun. And they're really quick and easy to do, and it's fun to see people's, you know, responses to that. Awesome, man. It's amazing. Um, I, I have one last question that it's always kind of the most, I don't know, it, you've, you've mentioned a couple of these things already, and it really comes down to, you know, scenes or things that you've been a part of that maybe it got cut away right and it always seems like there's usually a fun story is there any one like standout moment that like beyond what you've expressed already that is man i can't either i can't believe that got cut or i understand why it did or anything that you can think of that in in the past that really st sticks out in your mind besides the one i've told you i've had a pretty lucky career as far as that goes i'm sure that during Jag, there was stuff that was cut that, you know, just, but there was so much of it. You know, we did, if, if, if you add it up between all the stuff I've done, I've been on 300 hours of television, right? No. So it's sort of like wow. it, it, somewhere in there, it's going to be something, but there's a movie we did, um, which is one of my favorites called summer school. And in summer school, I play this football player who falls in love with this girl who's pregnant, which when you read the script, the script is really good. And, when you got to rehearsal, you were there with uh, the director was Carl Reiner and all everybody. I mean, you guys know the movie, right? Yeah. 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 So there's Dean Cameron doing Chainsaw, which I, he, <laughs> he gets credit for it. But no one I don't know if anyone really understands that how unique a character Chainsaw is and was like there was Sean Penn who did the surfer who I riffed on and ripped off. But there's really never been a Chainsaw type character he was really really unique and so we did the movie and so there was the chainsaw character there was the guy who um <laughs> the funny story about summer school was i was supposed to be i was auditioning for I, i'd done a movie with mark Harmon called prince of bel-air which was a tv movie and it was myself and kirstie alley and mark Harmon and dean cameron actually involved and so when mark got summer school he brought in all of us to read and I was reading for Larry Kazamayas, the guy who was always asleep and who was a dancer. <laughs> and I go in and I read the script and they like my reading and they go, okay, so you're going to be doing a dance scene. So why don't you show us some like dance moves and stuff? And so I dance for him and they go, congratulations, you're playing the football player. <laughs> <'Cause I'm laughs> <a dancer. laughs> so everybody had their own story as you, as you kind of know, it's like, you see the, you know, like each one of them eke in and, and so in summer school, there was a lot of stuff that was cut from myself and um, Shawnee, Shawnee Smith, who played the girl, Rhonda. Yeah. They cut a lot from our storyline, which I was bummed out by because 
in there's a scene where we're on the beach at night before uh, we're at the nighttime party before the fireworks and everything. And we're talking about, you know, her nerves and everything. And you see me playing in the in the sand with my foot. And then at the end of the scene, which is all cut out, I've dug like this hole because she says earlier on that she can't lay down anymore and she's uncomfortable. And so I dug this hole that I said, here, you can lay down now. And you put the belly in the in the hole in the yeah. sand and she lays down. And it was just really, really sweet. And then there's another couple of scenes like that. And then at the end, um, when she has the baby and she gives it up for adoption and everyone's wrapping up their storylines, you know, I ask her out and we kiss and they said, and we did it. And then I heard when they were editing, they're like, well, yeah, maybe we don't want it to be a love story between a girl who just got, who just gave birth. And now <laughs> she's hooking up with another guy who was not the father of the first baby. It just, you know, it's so long story answer to that was probably I would love to see, I definitely love to see what they took out of Blazing Saddles because I've never yeah. seen it. And the same with, with Summer School. Very cool. That's well, great, man. Patrick, we really appreciate your time, man. To anybody out there listening, I, I highly encourage them to check out your TikTok because your stories are incredible. You're a great storyteller, and that Thanks, is Working man. Actors School on TikTok. And go to workingactorschool.com because that's where you can learn more about what you're doing and, and how you're helping teach. And I, I think it's an amazing thing, man. It's been great to have you on the show. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. And Enjoy a real, it. real pleasure. Yeah, real pleasure. Thank you so much Stay for here. taking the time. Thanks, Patrick. You bet. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.